You're listening to House Flipping HQ Podcast with my dad, Justin Williams. Now let's get flipping! Yeah! This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Giving you the strategies, techniques, and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping HQ. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Now, let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. What's going on, House Flipping Nation? If you love flipping houses, say, oh yeah. Actually, I should say, if you love creating systems to flip houses, say, Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's give it up for my daughter, Britlin Williams, for that amazing introduction. My kids love using my mic, and they love being on the podcast, so it's a lot of fun to have them every once in a while, and that's what it's all about. Can you believe we are already in episode 20? Crazy. It just seems like yesterday how we started this uh, thing called a podcast. And now we're already at episode 20. We are just cranking away. Hope you guys are getting a ton out of it. Today we have the pleasure of hearing from Sharon Vornholt from Louisville, Kentucky. Sharon is crushing it in the wholesaling arena. And she is an expert marketer. We talk a ton about probates. We really dig deep into that and some other marketing, marketing absentee owners. Uh, how to handle calls, all kinds of fun stuff. She just, another guest who just gives it all away, puts it all out there. So I think you're really going to love what uh, she has to share with us. There is this little dog that keeps, kept barking in the background. I finally asked Sharon, hey, uh, can we get that dog to pipe it down? And I guess it was the neighbor's dog. So we tried, it's, but it's, you know, we're keeping it real. You know, it's just, we're real people. A lot of us working out out of our home, and uh, so so you get the live action going on uh, with the dog bark in the background. Okay, really quick before we get started, a lot of you have been asking about the final date and time for our webinar, where we will discuss the mastermind group we're going to be starting February first. We were going to try to do it this Thursday, but we uh, have decided to delay that one week, so we'll be doing that. On Thursday, January 23rd, and you can go to housewhippinghq.com slash mastermind and put in your name and email address, and we'll be sure to get you the most up-to-date information on the webinar and on the mastermind group. We will be launching February 1st. And with that, let's give it up for your favorite Louisville real estate gal, Sharon Vornholt. Hey, Sharon. Welcome to the show. So happy to have you. How are you doing? I'm great, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. You know, I've, uh, I've listened to a couple of podcasts you've been on and I've seen all the incredible content that you share on your site. And so we're just super excited that we were able to get you on the show. I'm really looking forward to everything you're going to be sharing with us today. I know we talked a little beforehand and I've seen some of the stuff that you do. So I'm really, really pumped. So before we dive into you know, what, what you're doing in your business today and how you're finding success in today's market, why don't you give us a little more of your background so we can have a uh, good understanding of where you came from, how you started investing in real estate, 
and what and then catch us up to speed to where you are today and then we'll dive into all everything you have going on right now okay that sounds great I opened a home inspection company in 1991, which was really my first uh, connection with real estate. Uh, My dad was a contractor, and I'd spent years as a kid going out on jobs with him, so I always had an interest in property. But um, I opened a home inspection company in 1991, and it was uh, a few years after that that a real estate investor, a realtor who was also an investor, took me to my first RIA meeting, and I was hooked. So I started investing part-time around 1998 is when I went to the meetings for a year or so, and then I jumped in and started investing part-time. So um, I started out initially with doing a mix of rehabs and rentals, and that was kind of my my plan was to do uh, a rehab and then take the profits from that and buy two rentals. So that was my original plan. Okay. And then in 2008 was when the market really changed here in Louisville. And if you had a rehab, you just might be looking at holding it for a year, <laughs> yeah. and which wasn't a fun thing to think about. Yeah. So I had just gotten a property under uh, contract, and I had never done any wholesaling. And I have to tell you, for the longest time, wholesaling was something I had a hard time wrapping my brain around. Going out and making lowball offers on properties that you intended to double close on or assign, it was just this one big puzzle to me. But I, I had put a house under contract, and I thought, you know, I just really don't want to rehab this house and hold it for nine months or a year. So I just called up one of my uh, fellow REA members and said, hey, are you interested in buying a house? And he said, well, heck yeah. <laughs> so Seven or eight, nine days later, we closed, and I thought, boy, I'm really on to something here. That was easy. Nice. <laughs> and I hear so many people like that who, who get into wholesaling almost like they don't understand it, but all of a sudden, you hear about these people who just end up doing it because they have a deal under contract, and they're like, uh, I don't know what to do, but let me call somebody, and they end up wholesaling it. It's pretty interesting how that happens. Well, intellectually, I understood the process, but make. There was something really scary about making that offer and wondering, am I actually going to be able to find a buyer? But the advantage that I had was I had been investing part-time for about 10 years. I knew the people in my RIA group, so I already knew people. Um, I know a lot of folks tell people to start out wholesaling, and I have to tell you, that is a hard road if you don't have any contacts, you don't know what a good deal is. I know people, there are folks that do it successfully, but I think it's the hard way to do it. Okay. How would you suggest starting out? I'm just curious. Well, I think you have to somehow learn what a good deal is. Um, That's the biggest problem I see with a brand new person going out and wholesaling. Now, my friend who was the realtor, she knew what a good deal was for a, uh, a retail sale. You know, if somebody looked at a property and it was 10 or 15% off, she thought it was a great deal. Well, I was a complete newbie. So we all know that that's not a good deal for a real estate investor. So yeah, uh, that's another point I'd like to make. I love realtors. I've worked with realtors for over 20 years in both my businesses. But you need a realtor that is an investor. You need a realtor that can put his realtor hat on and go, you know, be a realtor. But you also yeah. need that investor side that really understands they're two completely different animals. Yeah, they have to be able to understand the investment game for sure. Mm -hmm. So, well, let's uh, talk about where you're at 
right now. And then I would like to hear more about kind of go back and, and hear more about how you suggest people get started. But what is your current business model um, include right now? Sounds like you're mainly focusing on wholesaling, correct? I am. Um, I'm one of those people that had rentals and um, I just found that I really hated being a landlord. So I either had to do one of two things. A, a good friend of mine told me, this is exactly what he said to me, Sharon, you have a painful hobby. You either <laughs> need to get a lot of houses, 50 or more, or you need to just say, I don't want to be a landlord. And right at that moment, I said, I really don't want to be a landlord. So okay. I, like I, I, I made that decision. And, you know, I know a lot of people that uh, love being a landlord. Yeah. They, they really like it. But for me, it was... Uh, it was something I just really didn't like. So I made the decision to build uh, streams of passive income another way because we all need passive income because wholesaling is a job and you don't want to be wholesaling forever, I don't think. But um, yeah, I think it all kind of factors into what kind of lifestyle you want. I think that's part of it too. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about how are you, let's start with buying. How are you currently marketing for uh, the, these properties that you're wholesaling? Well, my main uh, marketing source and my best source of leads, hands down, is direct mail. I have been doing direct mail for 20-some years. I really hate to admit this, but I was around before the internet, and (laughs) that was how we marketed. We did direct mail, and we walked into real estate offices with flyers. Nice. So um, when it was time to market the real estate investing business, it was a natural fit for me. By that time, I had a lot of experience. Now, I've dabbled in just about every kind of marketing. You know, I've done bandit signs. Uh, They're just very problematic in my area. And plus, I just plain don't like hanging them up. Um, Websites are good, but you've got to drive traffic to your website. Uh, One of the best ways I think you can get leads, too, is through networking, getting known in your RIA group. And in time, and it doesn't happen overnight, people will just start calling you. Absolutely. And that's how I'm currently getting probably most of my deals is just through networking, other investors, uh, agents that know about us or that we're working with. Let's go back though and talk. I want to talk. Sounds like you're pretty good at direct mail. Mm-hmm. Let's break that down. What? Uh, let's talk about the kinds of people you're mailing to, how you're mailing to them. What are your, the list as they call it? What are you focused on? Are you doing absentee probates? I think I saw some of that on your site. Mm-hmm. What list yeah. are you focused on? Probates and absentee owners are my two uh, big lists. I've done other things and I do other ones from time to time, but those are my two uh, biggest ones. Let's let's, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, let's, I'd kind of like to focus on probates for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I mean, I've got people that do stuff for me. I know we've bought probate houses. I'm not sure how. And I know how, you know, what I think probates is kind of a, uh, not a secret, but a lot of people don't know a ton about probates. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a mystery. Why don't you teach us a little more about probates, how you go about finding those lists, where you focus on, who you mail to, how you go about that? Okay. Yeah, probates are different than other niches because um, you need to present a different appearance with probates, where you might use postcards for absentee owners and some of the other niches. While you could certainly use letters, postcards are just as effective. When you move over to probates, the last thing you want to do is send a marketing piece that's a postcard to someone who's had a a relative to pass away. And I don't recommend that you send really yellow letters. I get great results. 
from my probate mailings. And what I send is a white computer generated letter that says, dear, and it's the executor, the executor's name on there. And I'm contacting you about the estate of. Now, I um, have. Let's t- back up really quick. So mm-hmm. just so everyone knows, the, explain what the executor is exactly. Yeah, the executor is the person that has the right to sell the property. Now, they can also be called the personal representative or the administrator. Um, when someone passes away, they either have a will or they don't have a will. Uh, they testate or intestate, but all you need to know is that they had a will or they didn't have a will. So if they have a will and they have named the executor, like they've named Justin to take care of the estate, then Justin it is. That's right. <laughs> if you are the administrator... Or, or if there's no will and you have to go to court, someone has to be appointed uh, administrator or the personal representative. Uh, the terms are pretty much interchangeable. So then the court would do that. And then uh, each state, I think, probably has their own rules about how they do that. Uh, here, it's usually the closest living relative ends up if they want the job. That's the person that's going to be. But once that is done, then that person has all the rights uh, to act on the property. They can sell it regardless of what the heirs think, although that's not the wisest decision. Um, they can they step into the shoes, so to speak, of the deceased. Okay. So what I'd like to do is I like to mail to the executor. Now, I get a lot of questions um, on mailing to the heirs. I know some people do that. But once you begin to build a big probate list, and we'll talk about how you do that in a minute, if you have a list of, let's say, 1,000 or 1,200 people that have uh, passed away over the last 12 to 18 months, whatever the time period is that you keep your leads, uh, uh, you know, work your leads for, if you add into the mix there a couple of heirs who may or may not care or even care about the property, you get an enormous list, and, and you can have two-thirds of the list that they really don't have, you know, any say-so in the property. So my focus is always with the executor, and then I let them handle the heirs. The heirs are not really my concern. So how do you go about finding these executors? Well, in my area, we are so lucky. They are printed in the newspaper, and it's always you know exactly when they're going to be printed and it will have the name of the name and address of the deceased and the name and address of the executor. And those are really the four pieces of information that you need to uh, set up a probate campaign. Uh, Okay. So it has the name, I'm sorry, the name and the address of the deceased, you said, and the name uh and address of the executor. executor. So then once that comes out, um, I have someone that, um, goes through those leads for me and they pull them up on the uh, PVA or the tax assessor site to see if they have property. And a lot of times they'll just pop up. Sometimes they don't and you have to search in there, you know, rather than by property address, you have to search by name. And you have to do, let's say your name was, uh, I don't know what your middle name is, but Justin Scott. Dennis. Justin (laughs) Dennis uh, Williams. After my dad. Yeah, so they might, it, it could be J.D. in your last name. It could be Justin D. in your last name. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, There's yep. all different combinations of how that name could be in there. So you have to have someone who can go, okay, let me look, look these ways. Okay, so and, you're, you're getting these newspapers. Um, mm-hmm. And th- this is just a regular newspaper that's delivered to your home, right? Nothing special yeah, about this newspaper. No, it's in the classified hey, section. Hey, Sharon, really quick. I keep hearing a dog bark. 
I can mm-hmm. I'll edit there, out this part, but is there any way we can put the dog somewhere where we don't hear it? There, so much? That is the dog next door that's outside. Really? Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's mm-hmm. crazy how much we yeah. can hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That's, that's all right. No big deal. It's it's all real stuff, right? We're keeping it real. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, on the annoying neighbor's dog. Yes. Okay. Hey, that's, you know what? We're normal people, right? It's mm-hmm. good for people to hear that. So, <laughs> okay. So we've got the, um, I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. So you have, okay. So you get this newspaper. It's a normal newspaper. It includes the address, name and address of the deceased and the executor. But it doesn't necessarily mean you don't want to mail all those people because you don't know if they have a house or not that you want to buy. So you're going to look up, uh, do like a title search and see, you know, look up the names of the deceased or the executor. You're looking up the name of the deceased on the Uh, title search. Uh We're just going to look in the tax assessor site, which um, I have a subscription to uh, here. It's $30 a month. So I would encourage you probably have it, too. It's pretty cheap most places to have a, um, access to that site. So uh, the person that does this for me, uh, who happens to be my daughter, she will look up the properties and see if, first of all, if there is a property. And secondly, if, um, if it's a property we would want to buy. It, sometimes it's not in an area where we want to buy the property. Okay. So she's looking up the name of the deceased person, though, and then she mails the executor. No, no, no. Okay. No, she's got, uh, what I did was I made up a sheet and uh, as she does these out of the newspaper, she writes down the name of the name and address of the executor and the deceased. And she looks up to see if there is property. And then she puts that on the sheet. And what I mail is just, I mail the mailing to the executor, to the decision maker. Okay. Okay. But I, but I'm looking up to see if the deceased has property. All I want from the the executor is their mailing address. That's what I was thinking. So, okay, very cool. Um, and so for, yeah, I know you do a little bit of coaching. Have you ever come across people who in other states who don't get the newspaper and how would they go about that? Any idea how they could go about that if it's not in their newspaper? Well, I will tell you this. There are something like 3,300 counties in the United States <laughs> and each county is different. Okay. You don't know now, all of them, Sharon? Come on. Oh, no, no. Uh, I will tell you this. Some areas you can, uh, there are some services that uh, sell probate leads, which, by the way, are generally expensive. Yes. But if you're lucky, you will have a service like that as opposed to having to go to the courthouse and pull the lead. Okay. Um, you can do that. What, what you have to do, and I wish I had a magic answer, is but you have to call your local probate court okay. and ask them if there is a list that is published. That's how I found out mine were in the newspaper. I just okay. looked in the uh I think I actually looked in the phone book, which I don't even have anymore. And, you know, in the list of circuit courts and all their different courts, you just look up probate court and then you have to actually get someone in that court and uh, they will tell you. Now, there's also in many areas legal publications that you can get uh, have a subscription to. So that's another way. But the, the first thing you want to do is find out if there is a list somewhere or there are some counties that actually have the information online. Now here it's not online. And if you have, let's say you had the deceased name, you could go online and see if they had a will, but that is a huge cumbersome undertaking to do that. Plus it's very entertaining and you won't get any work done. (laughs) You know, when they'll say, 
things like, and Aunt Ethel does not get one red cent because she made me mad in 1942. No way. Yes, yes. That's great. The reason I think probates are so successful for the investors that work in that niche is most people simply won't go to the trouble long term. Yeah, because it's a lot more, like you're saying, there's a lot more different ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people just get confused. It's not just like mailing to an absentee list. Everyone kind of knows how to do that a little easier. Um, right. Very interesting. Yeah. So here I know that there are companies that will do leads, but I know you can also go to the courthouse. So, uh, you know, go like you said, they should Google. Um, what do you say to Google to check out online to look for a phone number for what should they look for specifically? How should they search for which piece? The, well, the, the probate you mentioned, um, they could do a search to find if, they have, if it's listed. What, what should they look up online specifically? To see oh, if the, they tax have a- ass- the tax assessor site? Is that what you mean? No, I, th- I think you said that they can search probate um, online to see if, the, oh, if there's a publication. That's what you said. Right. In, some, in a lot of areas in major cities. You can, uh, there's a pub, there's a legal publication that comes out that has every legal action taken. Like it could be divorce, it could be foreclosures. Uh, I think it's called something different in every area. But you can probably call any attorney and they will know if you have that publication in your area. Okay, fantastic. And that's another, you know, yeah. you mentioned divorce and mm-hmm. foreclosures. Right. That's another list that people mm-hmm. can, can mail to. So right. um, they could probably get a lot of information from that. So you got publications in some areas, some places uh, have companies that will do that work and go to the court and get those lists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't have that in your, you know, what's, I'll say what's good is bad and what's bad is good, right? So exactly, it, it might be a bummer that you don't have that. But once again, it's a lot more encumbersome. So if you can hire someone to go down to the courthouse and do those searches and collect that data for you and a lot of other people may not be getting that data because the access is harder, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, everyone should figure out uh, how the best way to go about probates in your area, the best way to get that information. So Yeah, and there are a few counties that the information has gone online. That's why it's important to find out. You have to do a little digging to find out where it is in your area. Of course, the best case scenario would be that... Uh, you could just go online and download the leads, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, fantastic. So really quickly, you know, Sharon, I want to uh, jump over to absentee. But before I do that, let's talk a little bit more about you mentioned the way that you mail. So we talked about how you get these lists for the probates. How do you get in contact with them? It's through direct mail. You mentioned that you don't like to use a yellow letter. You don't like to use a postcard. It sounds like you want to make it a little more personable. I mean, a little Mm -hmm. more. It's been it's a hard time for this person, obviously, who's getting this letter. How do you go about making that connection? That might be hard for some people to do. How, how do you go about that in your letter? Well, uh, I have two letters, which I'm testing for a long time. You know, at some point in time, the fact that there's been a death, it's going to come up. There's just no way to get around that. So my initial uh, thought on it was just to address it up front. Just get the white elephant out into the room and um, move on. So sure. I'll just say, you know, I understand this is a difficult time for you and that you may not uh, be ready to sell the house, but, you know, kind of keep my information uh, for down the road. And if anybody wants a copy of a, like a sample probate letter, I'd be happy to do that. And then I have a series of about five or six letters. I think there's six. And each time, you know, it's the second time. So I might say, you know, I just wanted to check in. 
later on down the road, I might say, you know, it's um, been a while and I wanted to see how the work on the estate is progressing. So you just really need to have whatever type of letter, I call it letter number one, where you make the initial contact. And you have to be very uh, conscious of the fact that these people have lost someone. It may be someone they were very close to. It, it, It may be an uncle they haven't seen in 50 years, but you don't know that. And here's the other thing. When they are printed in our newspaper here, I don't really know if they passed away last month or if it's been a year. Really? Yeah. So people will say, how long should I wait after they're published? And I I always tell them, don't wait. Hmm. Because I've had one fellow who um, said he filed the estate the day after his dad died. They obviously probably weren't really close. But I've had a lot of deals that I've bought where they wait a year or more to even get ready to sell the house or start the probate process. So you can't assume, you know, people will say, well, I'm going to send three letters. Well, I I have to tell you, three is not nearly enough. I mail to these people, and this again goes back to checking your database. I mail to them until the house is sold. And usually that process happens in Oh, 18 months to two years. And okay. that, does, that does involve having someone go back into your database and check. And I like to check about every six months. It's hard to keep it on that schedule, but you don't want to keep mailing to someone that has sold a house. For sure. Now, if they call me and they say, I just wanted to let you know that the house is listed, then I will say, well, good. I, I really hope you get a buyer. But is, is it okay if I keep you on my list? And if for whatever reason that doesn't work out, maybe I can be your plan B. And they always say, sure, that's fine. Yeah. And then I always ask them to call me if the house sells. Very cool. And then you've made that personal connection and they've realized Mm -hmm. you're very polite about it. And uh, okay, so what's the frequency? You said you'll mail until the house sells. Are you sending once a week, once a month, twice a month? Once a month. Once a month. Okay. And mm-hmm. th- so there's no set amount and you'll send five, three, four, five, ten, twenty, whatever until the house yeah. sells. Yeah. And you know, with absentee owners, you may have to sell over, uh, you may have to send to them for a long period of time. Now, I've not, the longest that I've ever sent to an absentee owner and gotten a deal was three years. But I had somebody tell me on Facebook today that they just got one after mailing to somebody for four years. Now, you said absentee. Do you mean probate? That's, that's absentee. Oh, absentee. Okay. But on probate, generally, I'd say for about 90% of uh, those folks, they will have done something by 18 months to two years. Okay. There will be an occasional person on there, though, that decides that they want to be a landlord and they're going to keep the property. Yes. Okay. And those people usually, um, I keep them on the list because most of them, they're not really landlords and they're going to get tired of the property Good and they're point. going to sell it. That's a great point. Um, but yeah, it makes sense that someone with probate, I mean, the person who lived there is deceased. So it makes sense mm-hmm. that they would want to sell it quicker than an absentee landlord. Just means someone who's out of the area, they might be fine with keeping the house. So that those numbers definitely make sense. Now, okay, you mentioned that we could see a, a sample um, of the first letter. Would, be, would you be able to send that to me and I can put it up on the, the show notes for this episode? Sure, I can do that. That would be awesome. And then just take out the part. What you want to do is you want to kind of craft your own uh, letters, but take out the first part about the condolences. I only ever mention the condolences, the first letter. And if you're uncomfortable doing that, 
you can take that out altogether, but be forewarned. These people are going to call you up and go, how did you hear about me? For sure. You know, and then you're going to have to say, I got your name, however I got your name. So it's just my, I don't dwell on it, but I just like to put it out there. So the first letter you give condolences, you said, but then after that, after that, you don't. So what would the the subsequent letters, do they look pretty similar to the first letter? Do you change them them up? Do you send all the same letter? How? No, no, I change them up a little bit, but I take, if you you think about taking out the first part about the condolences and then, um, you might, like I said, you might just say, uh, I sent you a letter a while, you know, last month or recently about the estate and to see if there might be property in the estate. Uh, maybe at three or four months, you might say, I know this is a big job, but I wanted to see how settling the estate is coming. You, I try to keep it very low key, always just one page, simple letters. And I always say, if you know, when you're ready, if you want to contact me, I can I pay cash and I can help you finish this estate, you know, close the estate out by buying the property because they don't ever want the property. That's what people need to understand. Probates, people that the heirs want the money that's in the property. They don't want the property. So they can be some of the most motivated sellers you will ever find. Now, if the property's listed, that doesn't mean it's going to sell. So I don't take those people uh, off of the list. I ask them, like I said, if it's okay to keep them on. If they say no, I'll take them off. Yeah. But I've bought numerous houses after the property's been on, on the MLS for a year, 15 months even. They'll call me back because I use the database and I make notes. So if they call me and they say the property is listed with um, Remax, I'll put that in my notes and the date. And so when they call me back, uh, I had a fellow call me back after 16 months recently. I pulled up his name and I could see all the notes I made. I already had to ask him about the property. So I had all of that in there. And I merely just had to kind of go over it again. And he was willing to take the price I had offered him initially, which was about half of the overpriced, you know, listing price. Nice. That's great. So, okay. So we will at com slash episode 20 or episode 20. Pretty good, Sharon. Moving right wow. along here. <laughs> so com slash episode 20. We'll leave a copy of that letter, uh, that first letter Sharon uses. And thank you, Sharon. That's very kind of you. I think we'll get a lot out of that. So um, great. you keep mentioning this database. What, what kind <laughs> of database do you use? Well, what I use is ACT. Uh, it's a program. Uh, when I started looking for a database back eight or 10 years ago, there really wasn't much available. Now, ACT is not for real estate investors specifically, but it allows me to put in my contacts um, and put in the executor information. I have just, uh, just kind of designed the way I wanted it to work for me. And then uh, you can merge up, do your mail merges right out of there. You can put notes. Everything it can be attached to that contact. You have to give a great deal of thought, whatever database you set up as to how you want to set it up, because otherwise you're going to have thousands of names in there and no way to really, you know, how I talk about going in and checking to see what is sold. For instance, what I do is I set up this year uh, is brand new 2014. So I have set up a new category called 2014 probates. And then under that, I will have each month, January, February, March, and on down the road. So when I put in the probates from January, they all go into that January group. And here it's usually 60, 80, might be 
more or less per month. So then when it's time to, when this list is getting about six months old and I want to go in there and see what is sold, then I have a manageable amount of people there in that list that I can, you know, go in and look and see if the houses are sold or if they're not sold. And at that point in time, I will have made a second tab under probates 2014 January for sold. Anything, I just call it sold. Uh-huh. Even if they are 100% leveraged, and I know that we, we're never going to make a deal, in my mind, they're just off the market. So yeah. then I move them out of that category. So over time, your category gets smaller. If, if you remember, I told you some of these people I'll mail to like for a couple of years. I might go back to a month, two years ago, I might only have four people in there. But if the house is still there and there, I still continue to mail to them for probably another six months or so. Okay. And you said ACT, that's A-C-T. There's a product, it's ACT by Sage. ACT by Sage. You can get an online cloud-based version now. I might add, was not available when I got mine, uh, which I'm kind of going back and forth on getting because then you can actually have other people in other locations work on your database for you. Awesome. Yeah, that's that, that's fantastic with kind of what we're doing here at House of HQ, kind of leveraging other people and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, that's great. I feel like we need to do like a whole other webinar. Have you? <laughs> I'm kind of like, uh, wow. on, on database, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so maybe, maybe in the future, we'll, we'll talk about that. So let's okay. go on to absentee. I know your main focuses are probate and absentee. How do you go about doing your absentee uh, mailings and marketing? Uh, those are all list-based. And uh, you can get a list from various places. List source is a big place. Uh, if you're using a postcard company, like uh, a lot of the postcard companies also can get a list for you. The one piece that I want on my absentee owners, and I know people do this a lot of different ways, but here's how I do it. I will put in my list criteria for the counties that I want to buy in which is our main county here and the one, uh, one county adjacent to it, I will put in home values, like a ranges of homes that I want to buy. And I also put in an equity factor, which is really the hard piece to get. It's going to cost you a little bit more money to get okay. that piece. Yep. Because I don't want to be, I don't do lease options, so I don't really want to buy, uh, I really don't want to market to people that owe, you know, they have a full mortgage on their house. Yeah, you're looking for so, equity. Equity. So my list generally is about 50%. Okay. Because by the time, you know, I'm a wholesaler, by the time I figure uh, the repairs and do what we do, it's usually going to come out to where they're going to have to have about 50% equity to make it work. Okay. Great. Okay. So that's how you go to use list source. You'll look for a certain target. What, just out of curiosity, what kind of price range are you looking for there out in uh, Louisville? Well, you'll probably be in shock. <laughs> but our, uh, you know, here in normal houses, uh, I think our average home price is about $150,000, $60,000. I think our actual median home price that was sold this past year was like one ninety nine. Okay. So my range is I'll do uh, like 50000 to, I think I have to go up to three hundred. I don't think you can cut off at two fifty anymore. And people will go, well, I'm not going to be able to buy something that's $300,000, but I tell them, you're not going to pay $300,000 for them. What what I like is your bread and butter houses or your step-up houses. That's what I'm looking for. And I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm not shocked because I've, uh, the last, 
I'm doing some more higher end stuff this last couple of years, but a couple of years ago, and even still, I buy a lot kind of on the outskirts of Southern California and the high desert areas. And I'm, I've, I've bought houses for as low as $18,000, believe it or not. So mm-hmm. <laughs> here in Southern California, that's yeah, right. And that, so. <laughs> that, that is shocking in Southern yeah. California. No, not, not in today's market. I mean, but no, I mean, there was a couple of years ago, my average house was right around a hundred thousand, but some were 50, some were 150. So mm-hmm. I am not surprised by that, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. But uh, okay. Very cool. So, okay. So you get your list once again. Now these, I would assume you, you do mix in postcards uh, since you didn't use that for the probate, but for mm-hmm. the absentee, you do use postcards. How does that milling sequence go? Well, I use postcards and um, pretty much it's the same. I have a couple of different postcards that I mix in, but it's pretty much the same message. I want to buy your house. You know, I don't think you have to get real. I don't think it's really necessary to change up the postcards so much. I look at it more as branding yourself. So they go, oh, hey, Justin sent me another postcard. Because postcards are more generic, um, I do like to use oversized postcards, and I've tried a number of different postcard companies. And in my area, the one company that I dearly love, they have high glossy, beautiful postcards. I got terrible results off of those postcards. I think the absentee owners were looking at them, going, "Oh, this is a—they're never going to pay me what Holy. I need for my house. They're too nice, in other words." Yeah. My best results I get off of yellow oversized postcards that nice. I think they're kind of ugly, but uh, <laughs> you know they pull the best in my area. They probably look more personable, a little less mm-hmm. corporate fill. Now, less corporate. Ha- having that been said, do you uh, present yourself as Sharon Vornhole or do you present yourself as you know a company? I present myself. I sign everything Sharon Bornhold, but I do have the company information on there. But the postcard is designed to be more. I'm a company, but here I'm a person yeah. who's going to buy your house. So um, you're I Sharon Bornhold, who has a company. Who has a company exactly? Okay. And I think uh, now you know those beautiful glossy postcards which I talked about. I actually bought a condo one time off of one of those postcards, so I think they absolutely work, work. for a lot of things. Yeah. And but it was my experience that I got a horrible uh, return rate on those postcards for absentee owners. Okay, so you're using oversized postcards, typically like a yellow postcard. It's yellow. Mm-hmm. Is it um is it look handwritten at all or is it just printed? It's printed. So it's not a real corporate looking card, but it is a professional looking yeah, card. Yeah, professional looking. Yeah. And it basically says, Hi, my name's Sharon with uh Louis uh, what's what's the name of your company? Uh, uh, innovative Properties. With Solution. Innovative Properties. Um I'm an investor in your area and I'm interested in purchasing your house. Please if you're interested in selling, please call me at this number. Is that essentially mm-hmm. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. And now that's it. And so you're having you're having that outsourced. So you're not doing this in house. You're having a company who specializes in that go ahead and take care of that for you. Correct? Yes. What? Yes. I made the mistake a long time ago of doing letters and for all my niches, and I did them myself, which was crazy oh because you can outsource it. Get so burnt out. For yeah, for super cheap. But yes, I do that. And actually, for people that do probate letters, um, I always. I believe that those need to be hand addressed. I think they I think you get a better open rate if those are hand addressed. 
just the name and address on there. For the program. But I have, okay. I have outsourced that. I've got a college student who does them for, she folds and stuffs them and hand addresses them for $11 a thousand. Absolutely. You know, I always tell people like, if you want to build a business, which is what I'm all about in House mm-hmm. Flipping HQ, uh, not just creating a job for yourself, right? But if you want to build a business, you can't be doing things that you could pay somebody 10 to $12 an hour to do. Right. Like, like you should never be writing, addressing envelopes. You should never be stamping letters. I mean, start with those basic things that are easy to have somebody else do. And that's going to how you're going to be able to grow to focus on building your business and actually creating something for yourself. So. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, that's that's great. So, can you do you have any companies that you can throw out um, that that people could look into? Yeah, the company that I'm using now, and um, curiously, is named YellowLetters.com. And I use the I, same company. I, I am not a fan of Yellow Letters, but I love their postcards. Okay, cool. And I I will say that I know people they're going to hear this and they're going to go, "Well, I use Yellow Letters." And my problem with Yellow Letters is it says, "I want to buy your house. Call yeah. me, Sharon." And you get a million calls from unmotivated sellers. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Yeah, so I, I do love their postcards. And um, you can also get your list there. And I might add that um, if you get your list from ListSource, which is a great company, by the way, and if you're looking for a list that doesn't have sensitive information like uh, equity, you can get those leads for, well, 8 to 16 cents a, a lead. Depends on, you know what type of account you have. But if you go to get an equity piece from ListSource, you're going to pay something like around 75 cents for that lead. Wow. If you are with a company like yellowletters.com, they will get your list for you and you can get that equity piece more like about 48 cents a name. And yeah, it is a lot more than just getting a standard list from list source, but you've got better leads. Yeah. You've got, you're not getting those that don't have any equity. So um, yeah, I've, they will get your list for you. And, um, you know, you can, you can put in all kinds of parameters. I want the homes here. I don't want homes here. I don't want these zip codes. So for instance, in your war zones in downtown areas where there's certainly in residential property in most areas. You can omit those. If you know you're not ever going to look at a house there, you can just eliminate those right off the bat. Oh, that's great. Okay. And we'll, so we'll put that link in the show notes, uh, yellowletters.com. We use them as well. And that will, all the show notes, just so everybody knows, I always put the show notes, which is basically everything Sharon and I or all my guests are talking about at com slash episode 20 in this case or whatever episode we're, we're on. So you can go there. You know, if you're driving or working out and you're like, oh, I need to write this down. I do this all the time when I'm at the gym. I'm like, oh, I got to write this down. I'm like, oh, I can go to the show notes. So that's <laughs> a, a great place for you to go check all that stuff out. Um, okay, fantastic, Sharon. Um, and the so the, the uh, absentee, you're sending those once a month as well? Yes, about, well, I strive for once a month. Yeah. And these are all postcards or do you rotate between letter and postcard? I'm doing all postcards now. Okay, fantastic. And that's, you know, less expensive, but you do the oversized, so that's a little more, but they seem to get a better rate. Um, what number are you leaving for these people? Is this a number that goes to your cell phone? Is the Google Voice number? Is it Pat Live? Does somebody else take these calls for you? Do you take them? Talk to us a little bit about that. 
Well, I've had trouble. I'm looking now to switch over to something else. I've uh, up until this time I've taken my calls, but it's gotten kind of overwhelming. So um, I'm looking to make a change. And I, I used Google Voice for a while, but then I had some problems with actually with Google Voice and not getting the messages. So um, for now, I'm using my business cell phone. Okay, so you're just using your business, which is that's great. That's the mm-hmm. way a lot of people could mm-hmm. start. Um, so you have your business cell phone. Do you have any way of knowing when a, a call is coming? Or are you just, just taking all your calls anyway, so it doesn't really matter? Do you take these live? Do you let them leave a message? What What do you do? How do you go about that? Well, it depends. I used to take them all live, and now um, if I'm in the middle of something, I might let them leave a message and call them back. I, I really believe that you need to take your calls, though, which is why I'm looking into some services. Okay. Um I think if you can have somebody answer your phone and just even get their name and number, you're not less likely to lose that lead. Okay. So um, uh, what do you use? Do you use Pat Live or do you have someone in your office? Or You know, I, I have the way I run my company is I actually have I buy from several wholesalers. I buy from a couple agents. Um, I've got a couple bird dogs. So I actually have them taking the calls and handling that and they all do it differently. So it's, it's interesting to ask people. I've heard some people intentionally let it go to a voicemail that's kind of set to screen them. I've heard other people, yeah, you have to answer it live. Other people mm-hmm. use a service like Pat Live. So I think they can all work. I think it's just a matter of what works most effectively for the person and how they go about it. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting. I, I basically with the people that I, because there are people that I will pay for some of their marketing and I want to look at what's my return. That's at the end of the day, you know, yeah, if yeah, they know what they're doing, I usually hire people to work with that kind of know what they're doing. And I'm not going to tell them, change up your system. I just want to know, is my marketing dollars being put to good use? So exactly. um, I specifically don't have a specific thing I do. I just different people that do different things that, you know, sell me their pro- the properties that they get. So, um, yeah, very cool. I do have a message on there that says, um, if you're calling about a property, please leave me your name and the property address. So, and I have real good results with that. I actually don't have very many hangups at all. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. All right, guys. Like I said, Sharon delivered the goods and she delivered a lot. So we will continue uh, with the rest of the interview or course in the next episode, in episode 21. Please visit housefinghq.com slash episode 20. For the show notes and links and everything we talked about in this show, you can also leave any comments or questions you have, and Sharon and myself will be happy to answer those for you. Last of all, don't forget to go to housewhippinghq.com slash mastermind and put in your name and email address, and we will send you a link and the time information so you can sign up for the webinar we have going on on Thursday, January 23rd. It'll be my first webinar. So, you know, be easy on me <laughs> and it'll be live. And we're also going to be talking about just generally uh, running a house flipping business or creating a house flipping machine, as I like to say. And we'll answer all the questions you have as well. So it'll, it should be a good time. It should be fun. I'm uh, I'm excited and probably be a little nervous at the same time. <laughs> but me and technology and speaking in public, and I don't know. It's going to be a good time. I'm excited for it. 
other than that, I hope everybody has a fantastic, uh, I would say week, but we'll see you in a couple days uh, in episode 21. Until then, go flip a house. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.